Welcome to Love Your Library, Hampshire Library's podcast. I'm Hattie Dulac, here with a newcomer to the Library podcast, Craig Saunders. Hi, Craig. Hi, Hattie. Great to see you. I'm excited to be joining this great team of people who make the podcast possible. What are you reading at the moment? So I'm reading a book called Little Deaths by Emma Flynn. Um, I'm only a few pages in, but so far it seems that the, the main character's children are missing and it's kind of going in a bit of a dual timeline uh, memory thing. So, um, yeah, seeing a bit of the past, a bit of the present, a bit of the future, I think, uh, as we follow that story. But yeah, I'm only, only a few pages in, but I'm excited to see where it goes. What about you? I'm reading One Moonlit Night by Rachel Hall at the moment. It's actually a little teaser for an upcoming episode we'll have coming up on the podcast soon. Uh, it's a fantastic novel based on the story of Maddie, who's separated from her husband um, in uh, the Second World War. So it's um, it's a really, really interesting kind of read. And similarly to your book, actually, it doesn't necessarily go in chronological order. So it's really, it's really interesting talking about a lot of themes about how well you really know your partners as well. Um, she's unexpectedly separated quite early on in their relationship. And so she then finds out uh, more about her partner through his family um, as, as the story progresses. So it's, it's really interesting, very thought provoking and um, uh, really um, interesting read. Yeah. Mm, sounds, uh, sounds like it will be a popular one with listeners. Hopefully. And as I say, it's a, it's a little teaser for an upcoming episode. So if it sounds, if it sounds exciting, then you want to tune into that one. Well, thank you to our supporter, BorrowBox, the library app that lets you download ebooks and audiobooks straight to your phone or tablet. So today's episode of Love Your Library brings you an interview with Soon Wiley, who's a debut novelist from the States. We spoke with Soon about his new release, When We Fell Apart, and it's a story that covers topics of loss, cultural identity and belonging, forbidden relationships and family obligations. The central plot uncovers the mystery of an apparent suicide in Seoul, South Korea. And then later on, we'll be talking to Rebecca, a library team assistant who works across Allsford and Winchester libraries about a book chosen for its themes of mental health and loneliness, The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Earlier this month saw us observing Mental Health Awareness Week and this year's theme of loneliness, which is such an important topic for libraries and all the services they offer to help individuals tackle loneliness. As a bit of a content warning, we will be covering some sensitive topics such as suicide, which might not be suitable for all listeners. Please listen at your discretion. And don't forget to check our episode show notes for a full list of all the books we mentioned and library resources available to help combat loneliness and support mental health. But for now, let's hear from soon. Chapter three. Min, what was the nature of your relationship? Min looked out his rain-streaked office window, the city's contours stretched and blurred. His thoughts were on his date with Eugene yesterday, their walk around Seoul, headphones on, splicer swinging, music murmuring through them as they stopped at a cafe, mingled with tourists at Gyeongbokgun, watched the city move, the day had been everything he'd wanted. I don't understand, he finally said, unwilling to face the man sitting in his office. The detective shifted in his seat, leather creaking. He explained again in even tones that something had happened, 
There had been an incident. Eugen was dead. Forehead against the window pane, Min was consumed by his last moments with Eugen, kissing goodbye, subway doors closing between them at Chungmuro Station, long jet black hair twirling as she turned to wave goodbye from the platform. His train car lurching forward. Eugen dead. It couldn't be true. There'd been a mistake, a mix-up, Min thought waiting for someone else to enter his office, maybe the superior of this man. He'd gotten the wrong building, the wrong guy, the wrong Eugene. His Eugene was perfectly fine. At this very moment, Min knew she was sitting in a classroom at the university, three pencils freshly sharpened to spears of lead, her good luck charm, her fingers sliding between the pages of her test booklet, breaking the adhesive seal. The last government final she'd ever take, something they'd planned on celebrating that very night. But no one else came through his office door. The detective stared just beyond him, letting the information sink in, like a surgeon waiting for their patient to go under. Welcome to the podcast, Soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We've just heard a, a bit of an excerpt of kind of one of the most pivotal moments of the plot there, the, the kind of introductory moment. But would you be able to, for our listeners, just tell me a little bit about the book? Sure. So the, the book essentially follows two storylines, but, but our main storyline and the, the kind of storyline that follows the mystery is the story of Min, who is a recently graduated uh, Korean-American guy. He's also biracial, so he's half Korean. Uh, and he's kind of recently graduated, dissatisfied with his job. So he goes to Korea with this kind of vague sense of possibly reconnecting with his culture. But when the book opens and from the moment that I just read, he's confronted with the, the news that his girlfriend has died. And the initial belief is that she's committed suicide, although for me, that's uh, quite unbelievable. So much of his story is the reader following him in his efforts to try to find out whether that was really the case. And then the, the novel is told in alternating chapters. So in the subsequent chapters, we meet Eugene and her storyline starts uh, well before she meets Min. So her storyline actually starts when she's in high school. And so the story kind of toggles between those two points of view and with Min trying to find things out and then with Eugene slowly kind of revealing the, the truth to us. It's such an interesting book and I love the dual timeline kind of split and the dual narrative element of it. Do you, when you were sitting down to write it, did you do it chapter by chapter or did you start with one storyline and then go back and work through the other one? Yeah, so I, I wish that I could have worked on it toggling back and forth because that would have been infinitely easier, but as usually is the case with writing, I had to do it the hard way. So when I initially actually wrote the book, it was all from Min's perspective. And Eugene was a character in the book. She was very much an important feature, but it was all from, from Min's perspective. And we never went into the head of, of Eugene. And I think that draft, it was the initial draft of the book. So it took me about a year and a half or two years. And then at some point it became very clear that I, I needed to include her point of view. And so I put his kind of the novel, but his version away. And then I started essentially her, her narrative. And that took me, I don't know, another year or something like that. And then I finished her section. 
And then that's when I kind of combined them. So at that point, I don't know, maybe it was like three or four years, but that was much more of like a puzzle Mm. trying to fit kind of a puzzle piece. Cause I, I knew that I wanted alternating chapters. I also didn't want to write it going back and forth. Cause I wanted to be as immersed as possible in the voice. And I knew that if I was kind of jumping back and forth that I probably wouldn't be able to do that. So it was, it was quite like labor intensive in a weird non-creative way to, to combine the chapters because for means chapters, the, the questions that we have as readers, Eugen can't answer some of those in her chapters because then we kind of find things out. So it's kind of a balancing act. Yeah, it, it is absolutely fascinating to hear that. And did you sort of start with the death of the character first and work your way from there? Or did you start kind of at the revelation point where we find out, you know, the kind of truth of what happened? Yeah, that's that's also, I also did that the hard way. So I I started with the de- her death and I didn't, I had some like very vague sense of, of what it might be, but I'm not an outliner. I didn't write it really, you know, I didn't write it down. I didn't scaffold out the novel. I just kind of went for it um, and let kind of Min's journey take me kind of wherever he decided to go. But yeah, there were very much a lot of questions that I had when I started writing. And I I personally enjoy that. Like I, I, I like seeing where my characters take me. And sometimes when I outline things or or kind of explicitly lay them out too much, I get I get a little bit bored. I guess it's like that, um, the unexpected. You've got to keep yourself interested as much as anyone else, don't you? So Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's obviously not the easiest way to do it because in revisions I had, there was a lot of, a lot of the revisions that I had to undertake were around the plot because obviously as I'm drafting this and having been think, figured these things out, I kind of realized that certain plot points didn't fit or I'd have to switch things a little bit, which then meant I had to go all the way back to like the first chapter and switch things. So again, not the most effective way uh, of my time, but it's just kind of how, how I worked on the book. Yeah, that's it's so very interesting. So it's a bit it's a bit of a cliche to ask, but I, I'm really curious about this. So where did the actual idea or inspiration for this book come from? Um, I think... If, if I can kind of try to, you know, the book took me seven years to write. So it's a long, it feels like a long time ago, kind of was a long time ago. I, I was interested in, this sounds kind of dark, but I, I, was, I was interested in exploring um, kind of the psychological toll that happens to people when we lose someone to, to, potentially in in the case of the book, potentially to suicide. But I was specifically interested in, you know, when we experience the death of someone that either we're very close to or that we're kind of tangentially close to and how we make sense of that, especially when from our perspective, this person was leading a very happy and fulfilling life and how that causes us to start to question our own ability to perceive the truth, right? So if our, if our eyes and our ears and all of our senses are telling us that this person is, is incredibly happy and, and successful and all these other things, how does that person's suicide kind of cause us to question our own kind of abilities to, to perceive the truth? So that, that was kind of the initial question. And I just 
I wanted to explore in the case of the book, what would Min do? Um, how would he reflect on himself? How would he reflect on his time there and also on their relationship as I was, I mean, it, it wasn't, the event didn't happen when I was kind of right in the middle in, in at the beginning of the book, but when Anthony Bourdain died, that was a moment that for me really connected to what I was interested in, in exploring. Cause here you had someone who for all intents and purposes, everyone perceived him to be this kind of his whole ethos was like, enjoy life, right? Like live life to the fullest. And I think everyone looked at him and thought, here's someone who loves life, right? Who loves to travel, who, who you know, basically stands for kind of life in general, right? But when he died, I, I thought it was interesting that almost immediately people began trying to, everyone had theories of, of well, I think it was this, I think it was that, Oh, and then all of these stories began to kind of leak out of, well, he actually drank a lot and there were these demons that he was struggling with. So I was artistically, I was interested in all of the different ways that everyone, at least in my life, tried to make sense of, of that death um, because it was kind of inexplicable. Yeah, that, that's such a good point. I, do, I remember that as well. It was such a shock, like across the world, it, it was a, a really big moment, I think. Um, and people trying to, yeah, make sense of it, I guess, it, you know, if, if something's on the surface looking a certain way. Um, one of the themes of the book is sort of cultural identity. And one of the things that I found really interesting while I was reading it as a sort of, you know, relatively uninitiated to South Korean culture was the moments where, you know, you, in the writing, you pull out these kind of, I guess, cultural and kind of societal elements, whether it's the way the elders are treated, behaviours around people who are older than you, like certain like rituals, um, particularly with death and, and stuff like mourning and things like that. I found that so insightful and, and enlightening. But also, I guess my question is, how did you select those particular elements? Were there things that you knew that you wanted to include or did it just kind of unfold as the plot went on? So I think, so I, I lived in South Korea for, I lived in Seoul for a year after I graduated college. And this was well before I knew I was going to write a book at all set there. So there were certain things that I just knew that I was aware of because I'd lived there or just because, you know, my mom's Korean. So not as if we had a, an immersive kind of Korean household, but there were just kind of certain things that I knew. But certainly there's a funeral scene in the book that, I I was aware of buildings that held funerals in Seoul, but I had never been to one. So there were some things that I had to do kind of quite a bit of research for um, and talk to people and things like that. But I also, I kind of let the story take, take me where it went. And then I kind of had to, where there were blind spots, I had to kind of go back and shade those in. I think I was aware that there were certain things that I didn't know. But I had to kind of really put that out of my head. Otherwise, I wasn't going to write the book. So I had to kind of give myself permission to, to get some things wrong, probably. And that, you know, for me, that was even a question, you know, because I am, I am American. I am half Korean, but I'm writing a book that's set in Korea. So there's a certain kind of responsibility I, I felt. But I also knew that if I worried about it too much, it, it wasn't going to get done. 
But I was also very aware that my audience probably wasn't as knowledgeable of Korean culture as I was. And so I think I was very conscious of kind of walking this line of like, not treating my reader, treating my reader with respect. So I want them to have context. I want them to understand what's going on, but I also don't want to make them feel as if they're reading a textbook where I'm like educating them on here are all the different, you know, here's what this Korean dish is and here what, you know, so, and that's just something that kind of comes with the territory when you're, when you're writing from that perspective and when you're setting a story in a, in a different culture and in a different place, trying to, to walk that line where the reader feels both respected, but then also if there are some blind spots that they don't feel like they're kind of completely lost. Yeah, it felt very natural to read it in the way, you know, it was it was kind of un unraveling things uh, as it went. Um, I suppose one of the elements within that theme of kind of cultural identity and, and those differences are things that really directly relate to the characters' kind of motivations and their responses in certain situations, like academic pressures and, um, you know, feelings about family obligation and, and secrecy and things like that. What of those themes do you think was the most important to kind of bring into the book? No, I don't think any of this stuff, as I was writing it, I don't think I was, I was, it wasn't as if I was saying, okay, here are my top three mm -hmm. things that I really want to, it was more of like when I finished the book and went back and read it, it was like, oh, okay. So here are the themes that are kind of like bubbling up to the surface. And for Eugene, it was definitely her relationship with her parents and kind of the familial pressure uh, that she's under as, as a high school student. And as, as a student who's very academically talented, she's, she's under a lot of pressure to get into a very good university, to do incredibly well in her career, uh, and also to kind of, to a lesser extent, because she's, she's not a boy, but she's still a member of the family, the idea of kind of carrying, you know, carrying on the family legacy and making a name for yourself. So I think for, for her, that was very much a, a theme that I wasn't expecting it to become such a large part of her her storyline but it did and then i think for for min and and similarly i i was surprised by this um his very complicated relationship with korea so that he's you know he goes there partly i think he's not really sure why he's there when we when we start the book or at least maybe he is, but he's not willing to admit that he's the reasons that he's there, uh, which are partly right, that he wants to reconnect with his, his kind of this culture that he feels disconnected from. And, you know, the, the reality that greets his expectations, which is that the, the country doesn't really seem that interested in, in welcoming him in the way that he perhaps thought they were going to. So, I mean, is this the kind of book that you like to read? You know, that, that's a good question. I, when I, I obviously hadn't written a, a novel before this, I'd only written short stories. And um, I did ask myself that question before I started it. I, I, you know, what kind of books do I, I like to read and what makes me keep reading as a reader? Mm. Um, and the short answer is yes. I mean, I, I, I think I am a, I'm a big Haruki Murakami fan, the great Japanese author. And he's, you know, he's not a mystery writer, but all of his books have 
some element of mystery, whether it's a character that's gone missing or it could also, you know, one of the reoccurring tropes in his stories is like a character just stops talking to another character. So it can be like major or minor. And Kazuo Ishiguro, who's a the great British writer, but he, you know, he also will have these elements of, of mystery, but I wouldn't categorize those authors as mystery writers, right? They're kind of more literary writers who have their writing has literary merit, but um, Celesting, everything I never told you is also a great example of that where, I mean, she's definitely much more on the mystery side, but I enjoy books that have this kind of current of a question, right? And whether that question is, you know, something dramatic, like who died or how did they die? Or, you know, like in one Q84, it's more like I stepped into this alternate universe and everything's strange and I don't know why. So yeah, that, that was really important to me. And I, and I think most writers should probably stay, stick to books, to writing books that they themselves want to read. Cause I think otherwise it's, you'd go a bit mad, you know, working on a book that you're not interested in reading. I can't even imagine it. I can't even imagine it. But yeah, <laughs> it must, must keep you interested as well as an author to have a question that you're working towards. It's definitely interesting one. So um, much of the novel, as you mentioned, it's set in Seoul. It just, I think the description of the city is so beautiful and captivating. I mean, you say, you say that you spent some time there after you graduated, but what was so powerful about this place that you decided to set this novel here? Did it feel like the perfect setting for it? Yeah. So when I, when I lived there, um, I, so I, the, in the first chapter, Eugene's first chapter, she talks about going to, to private school, which in South Korea is called Hagwon, which is school after school. So you go to public school in the, in the morning and early afternoon, and then you go to Hagwon, which is private school. And so when I went to South Korea, I was a Hagwon teacher. So I taught English as a second language and I worked from around 2 PM to, I guess that's 14 for the British, for the British listeners. I think if I'm doing that right, uh, from like 2 p.m. until like 10.30 at night. Those were my working hours. Really? Yeah. So, you know, I would eat dinner every night at like 11 and everything's still open. So I very much loved living in Seoul. It, it felt to me like, I mean, I, I grew up near New York, but I never lived in New York. Um, but there was something about living in Seoul that it always felt like there was something going on and there was always a restaurant or a noodle shop or a food stall. There was always something that you could do. And Seoul is also quite famous for its night scene and its partying and all of that stuff. So I was, there's something very seductive about that, but it's also a city that it's complex. I mean, the, the part of the city that I was living in it's kind of what they describe as like a satellite of Seoul, but it's essentially a, almost a suburb, but it's, you know, the city that I was living in was only like 10 years old, um, which is just strange if you think about it. Um, everything around there was built 10 years ago. I mean, this is in 2014. And even in Seoul, you know, you're walking by these palaces. Most of them have been rebuilt since the Japanese occupation. But there's a very strange sense of like, there are these ancient kind of palaces and all this old stuff. And then you've got these giant skyscrapers. So there's kind of this, you know, just when you're looking at it, it looks odd. But all of that, I think, made it into the book. I mean, I, I wasn't really 
again, when I was there, it's not as if I was taking notes, but it clearly, it kind of made an impression on me that uh, I wasn't really aware of until I started writing it. And then I realized how much kind of stuff I, I remembered. It does seem like the perfect place for young people to converge because it's like almost its own living, breathing character in the book, really. It's, it's really powerful, I think, the, the imagery and the description. So we're a library podcast and, you know, we're very, very um, proud to be able to deliver kind of library services across to the county in, in the UK where we are. What are the significance of libraries, if at all, to, to you and your, and your background? Yeah, so I, I used to work at my local library, actually, oh, not, not, not well, I should oh. say. Um, I mean, I was okay. So I was, I don't know what you guys call it in the UK, but I was a page. So I was responsible, pages are responsible for reorganizing the books based upon the Dewey Decimal System. So I would get like a stack of books that were weren't organized and I'd have to push it around and I would reshelve all of them and then I would put things back. I was kind of constantly like probably in a, in a, in, in a location where I shouldn't have been. Cause I was reading or I was like, you know, I'd find a book, the cookbook section. I was always like, Oh, I'm going to go reorganize that. Cause I just want to look at the, look at like some good food. So, but that was in high school. And, you know, I was also very lucky. I had a really amazing local library where, where I was growing up and it, you know, it was something I just took for granted, you know, it was just a fixture of, of my childhood. And then obviously when I was in high school, so it had probably an outsized influence on me. And, you know, when I was a kid, they had an amazing children's reading program that I went to. I remember in the States, we have all of these um, contests. So I remember trying to rack up as many gold star, you know, you get a star for every book you read. So I was trying to read as much as I could. And then as, as I got older, um, I mean, in university, the library, you know, you just live in the library. It's where you study. It's where you, you get everything done. So I, I love libraries. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's something, at least in the States, that libraries are kind of, we're constantly trying to figure out how to keep a library funded, how to make sure that libraries have what they need. So it, it's really something that, that means a lot to me. Oh, that's brilliant to hear. So wonderful. It's, yeah, it's really nice to to kind of, I don't I, you don't want to ascribe too much meaning to it, but when you can see someone really passionate about books and reading from that young age, and then they end up, you know, becoming an author or a novelist, it's, it's a really nice thing to, to be able to kind of look back on and see where that passion's kind of come from. Um, and then I guess to, to kind of wrap things up, what what's next for you? What's do we have another book in the in the pipeline? Are we getting yeah extension of the story or something completely new? It's, it's interesting. A couple. I I just was on my book tour in in the Midwest and in Chicago, and a couple of people have asked about a sequel or they want they want to see the characters again, which um, I think is kind of interesting. Uh, I I am working on a second book, so that's that's something that's that's in the works and. Uh, you know, I think we'll see how long it takes, but it's it's definitely it's in progress, um, and it's set in the Midwest, so it's not and in the states. So it's that part has been kind of nice because I've been able to, you know, write when I was writing the book set in in Seoul. It's just a lot of imaginative and creative energy that was taken up 
by setting a a story in a place where you kind of haven't been in a long time. So that's been nice to to set a story in a in a culture that I'm a little bit more familiar with. Oh, I'm really well looking forward to it. Wish you the absolute best of luck with that because um yeah, keen to see keen to see what you're doing next, but are you still on tour or are you kind of just Um yeah, we've got a couple more going to Baltimore and Washington DC. So there are a couple more places stops along the way. Um but it's it's also odd. I mean, the book's already out in the US, but it's, you know, it's coming out in the UK, so it's kind of nice i get to have two two special special days yeah definitely <laughs> exactly you can celebrate on both bust out the champagne yeah exactly <laughs> no, it's it's been an amazing book to read i'm so glad that we kind of picked that up and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you so thank you so much for joining me well thanks so much for having me hattie and i'm i'm so thrilled that you know libraries are are enjoying it and you know you guys do so much amazing work not just for books but just for communities in general so i'm very appreciative of that i really enjoyed speaking with soon i find it so enlightening to learn about the different writing processes involved in creating a book like when we fell apart with all its mystery and split narratives it was really hard not to spoil it though <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. But hopefully it will leave listeners eager to pick it up off the shelves. I also thought it was great to hear the influence that working in a library had on Soon when he was growing up and how passionate he is about the services libraries offer. I think we often find that, don't we, with the many people that work within the library service, that the passion that everyone has is unique and, and really special. Moving on to the second part of the episode now, we speak to Rebecca from Winchester and Allsford Libraries about her life at the libraries and her pick for this month's theme of mental health and loneliness. Hi Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you very much for having me. So you're a library team assistant. Could you tell us a little bit about where you work and what it's like? Yes, I work in both uh, Winchester Library at the ARC and Allsford Library. So, um, yeah, it's quite nice because I have a nice mix of working in a big library and a small library. Um, um, yeah, so I enjoy having two different settings and, and the different challenges and things that that, that brings don't you feel like every library kind of has its own personality and its own kind of role within the community so I suppose I mean a good question is probably what what's what are the differences what what kind of feel do you get at both Allsford and Winchester? Um, Well obviously Winchester is a lot bigger and we have a lot let's say maybe younger demographic in in Winchester um, probably just reflective of the younger demographic within the town um, and lots of students, which is great. We have lots of spaces for students to work and chat and do their revision, which is which is really adds a nice angle to the feeling of the place. Obviously, we've our partners with Hampshire Cultural Trust have lots of exciting exhibitions and a retail space in there. So it really is quite a vibrant and dynamic feel to the building. In Allsford, it's a in a smallish town, so yeah, it is, it is definitely a different kind of customer base that comes in. And being smaller in Allsford, you get to know the people um, more, which is lovely. You come in and and hello, Mrs. Jones, and and you've you've got a recommendation for her, and um, yeah, no, it's, it's really nice to have the diff- the different. I enjoy both of them. So, in terms of our book recommendations today, we're we're going with the theme of loneliness or, or mental health. 
this is because sort of May we've had Mental Health Awareness Week where the theme was loneliness. So before we get started on what book you'd recommend and, and some of that, maybe we can talk a little bit about the role of libraries in supporting loneliness. Yeah, I mean, I think loneliness is, is, is a massive problem and probably one that's, that's maybe not talked about quite, quite so much. Um, there's perhaps a lack of awareness or, or a bit of a stigma about it. Um, I know in 2018, um, the government did some research that shows that 9 million people are always or often feel lonely which is a staggering amount of people and, you know, really heartbreaking. And then if you add, obviously, onto that since 2018, we've had a pandemic, which has undoubtedly increased that, that number, that feeling of isolation that I think we can all identify with um, over the last couple of years. And it has such a massive impact on people's lives if they feel lonely. Um, and I think the, the library service is just such a wonderful place of, of sanctuary in our communities um, there are people there you can just go and be there and be around people um, it's a real safe space I think and, and there's lots of groups going on in the libraries for you to get involved in if you'd like to I know in Winchester we've got Knit and Natter and Scrabble and I think a really important one that um, that libraries do are the rhyme time and the story time for children and and new parents I know as a new mum myself it was an incredibly isolating time and you know and, and to be able to go somewhere at the same time each week and see people in exactly the same boat as you you know and and, and to sing and to have that sense of achievement that you've kind of done something with the day actually even though it's only half an hour and you know and, and and you've had fun with your baby you know it's good for babies and mums I think I'm really really passionate about that and and there, I know that there's a lot of new mums that have incredible problems with with mental health and I think just to be able to go somewhere and feel, you know, you can just sit down and, and, you know, be with other people. And there's been some research about it, about the positive feelings that, that, that mums have after they've completed the rhyme time and, you know, that they've, that they feel happier, um, which is, you know, a wonderful thing to offer to so many people who really, really can be really struggling. I do think that each library has its own sort of little community and it, it's nice to be part of that. There are loads of things as well, like the home library service and, and stuff like that, that can really help with getting connected to just another person or even online, especially during the pandemic. We had a lot of engagement with some of our book discussion groups. Um, we, we've got uh, a Facebook group, which is an online book club. I think people sharing their love of reading in, in a space like that is also a really nice thing to be able to tap into. Yeah, definitely. Just different opportunities to to meet people and to, you know, to talk about something you love is, you know, is, is really valuable, I think, especially when you're, you know, you are lonely and, and things can seem very difficult. Every day can be very difficult. You know, just little glimpses of, of, of hope and connection with people is really important. I think reading itself is, it can be really useful to combat loneliness as well. You know, you can, it can provide a total escape for someone if they're you know really struggling in their day day-to-day -day lives you know you can suddenly be on the other side of the world with you know it's a, something fantastical happening and it can I think that can probably really help combat those those oppressive feelings as well definitely it's that kind of feeling of escapism isn't it or or you know getting to know characters is a lovely lovely experience so moving on to the books that we've sort of chosen along this topic do you want to tell us a little bit about the book that you've chosen and why 
Um, yes, I have chosen The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, which is a book that I have recently read, but it's one that's been on the list of books for me to read for a long time. And I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. Um, it was challenging and happy and sad all in equal measures, really. Um, it, it, very, very witty at points and, yeah, really, really sad at points. So it, it follows... Um, Esther, who lives in 1950s New York. Uh, she's working as an intern for a fashion magazine and she's kind of living a bit of a it girl life um, with lots of fun and parties and events to go to um, covering for her magazine that she's writing for. She's very bright, very academically gifted. Um, she wants to, to write uh, for a career. So she's having fun in New York, but basically that sort of period of all comes to an end it's, it's not all fun there are certain challenges that she has so after her internship ends she has to move back to her mum's house and and she sort of there's this lovely line that she says which I kind of remember that says I'd never spent a summer in the suburbs before so she's got such trepidation and, and despair about having to move out of the city and and can see all that suburbia offers for her which is not appealing um, and she fails to get into this writing course that she that she hoped to get into and she can see her future as she imagined slip, slipping away from her and all suburbia in front of her with all the kind of 1950s housewives were pumping out children and uh, which is not a future that she that she wants to pursue um, so she gets kind of more and more lonely really and alienates her, herself to a certain extent from from society from her friends um, and and she and she it leads to a, a suicide attempt, um, which yeah, which is really difficult to to read. I think I found it quite challenging. Um, and then for the second half of the book, she's basically sort of in various different institutions and, and the kind of challenges that brings for her. But yeah, it really made me laugh. And some of the kind of things that she gets up to in New York are very funny, and and it explores some some kind of big issues of mental health and feminism yeah which which was incredibly well done you know fantastic writing real has I had sort of real empathy with with Esther yeah yeah I mean there's a reason it's a classic right it's um but very well known yeah um kind of picked up everywhere so in terms of that those kinds of themes of mental health and loneliness what how do you think the book handled those do you think it was sort of well done or or did it did handle it in a very sensitive way or was it quite difficult to read at points um I think I think a bit of both really I think in in a way it sort of showed us that kind of anyone can experience you know difficulties with mental health and loneliness that you know on the surface she was very successful bright vivacious person in New York and and you know and and she went on to you know attempt to commit suicide but you know anyone can struggle with these issues um and yeah it was it was it was like I said. It was it was a bit difficult to read. It was very sad and full of despair at, at points. Um, but I think, yeah, I guess that's what what makes it a good book. That you know, I followed her journey so and, and was rooting for her, but felt the kind of highs and lows with her. So, is this the kind of book that you tend to read ordinarily? Is this the kind of thing that you would pick up? Um, I like to read quite. A, a, different different selection of books really I'm always um I'm always got my eye out on the fastback section of, of the library because I like to see what the new ones are coming out uh, Fortnite is sometimes a bit of a challenge to to read in 
but um but yeah no I, I read quite a lot of different ones really um I belong to a book group um so that's really great and it, it, it makes me read books that I wouldn't normally read I really like that which other people have chosen but yes I've always got a ridiculously teetering high um pile of books on my bedside table that I need to that I'm working my way through <laughs> I think don't, don't we all don't we all so what about you Craig what what book have you chosen okay so my book is the boy the mole the fox and the horse by Charlie Mackay and um it is a, a lovely book with some wonderful illustrations it starts off with a, a couple of pages uh, in the opening which explains the themes of the book and basically says you can read it in any order you want. You can literally start on any pages and the idea is that you can pick it up from any point in the story. And it is a book which touches on the themes of loneliness, of believing in yourself and of being happy within yourself. As I say, the illustrations throughout are kind of sketches, but they're really, really lovely. And and it's designed to be almost like a journal rather than a, than a book. Uh, and a traditional kind of novel. Some of the pages are just picture-led, and even just throughout the book, there are some just really nice illustrations and touches, but it, it's a really lovely book, and you can read it within, it's about a 20-minute read. It's it's so quick, but the impact it has through the text, through the through the um, the pictures, is really, really lovely. And I'd recommend it to anyone from, from a dedicated reader, someone that reads a lot, to someone that actually doesn't often pick up a book it's a really really nice really nice piece mm, that sounds it is it like a almost a prompt like a self-discovery prompt yeah exactly and and it you know um it, it tells the story of the boy the mole the fox and the horse and they they all it starts off with the boy they then meet the mole they then meet the fox and the horse and each of these characters have their own individual issues whether it be loneliness whether it be confidence whether it be believing in yourself whether it be kind of not knowing where they're going in life and as they meet they discover their own uh, kind of individual uh, individual kind of fragilities i suppose and then how being together and help them overcome them and give them confidence in each other and give them belief in each other uh, so it's it's really nice it's it's actually quite it's quite emotional even though there's not much text even though it is a, you know picture led quite a lot of the book i thought it was a really powerful powerful book to read mm, i'm sure it'll be flying off the library shelves patty what book have you bought to recommend so uh, I, I'm, I'm torn between two books. I was, I was saying to Rebecca before we started recording that the, the author interview that we're attaching to this um, discussion is a book called When We Fell Apart by Soon Wiley. And uh, if you've just listened to that author interview, then you'll know uh, a lot more about it. I found it a really, really powerful book to read. And the one that I was going to pick relating to specifically to loneliness though it's a slightly different take on it is Piranesi by Susanna Clarke so this, this is a again a really popular book it, I think it won some awards last year but it is about loneliness in a sense in that it's a really fantastical novel with a completely different setting so the world building in it is quite unique there are two characters it's set in a sort of grand stately home but that is its own reality um, it's, a, it's its own kind of universe, it has its own weather, you know, there are tides 
within the great halls of this house there are birds and stuff like that and it's just the main character Piranesi and a character called the other who kind of exist in this house and it's hard to describe the plot because it, it definitely has a lot of fantastical elements to it that it's just hard to cover but the the story is one of discovery as they kind of move throughout this house and try and uncover what the truth behind their reality is and I think it, it does a really good job of handling that topic of kind of isolation and imagine your the, your sense of perception and your sense of self is that you are one of two people you know alive in your world and go from there how does that change you as a person how does that influence your character how's it how does it influence your mood how positive can you be in that kind of situation and you know how how can that distort your sense of kind of reality and stuff like that it's it's a, it's a really good book but um <laughs> quite hard to describe <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if you've either of you have read that no I haven't no it sounds quite a challenge to read as well is it confusing reading it or um it took about two chapters for me to really be like okay right I'm immersed in this now I like it when books do that, when they like give you something and they don't do a lot of exposition. They just throw you in at the deep end. That's a good one, though. I'd recommend it. Before we go, are there any other books you'd like to give a special mention to? I've just recently read a fantastic book by Anne Patrick called Bel Canto. I uh, really enjoyed that. Um, not really about this theme, but um, yeah, set, set in um, a kind of South American embassy in a hostage situation and about the different dynamics that form with hostage takers and the hostages, if that's the right word. Um, uh, yeah, fantastic. Really, really interesting book that was. Oh, that sounds good. Might have to pick that up and put it on the reading list. So thank you so much for joining us, Rebecca. Um, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much. Oh, I love it when people choose to chat with us about the classics. There's a reason why these books really stand the test of time. Yes, and as Rebecca mentioned, there's a lot to be said about the way books themselves can help to alleviate loneliness too. And you'll notice we mentioned our online book club during that roundtable talk, which is a really fantastic way to connect with other book lovers from the comfort of your own home. So each month, members of the group vote on what to read next, which is always available to read or listen to for free via BorrowBox. All you need to do to take part is head over to the Digital Readers group on the Hampshire Library's Facebook page, join it and start reading. And if you're listening to this at the time we release the episode, you've probably missed out on Main's pick, but you'll be just in time to join in with the group for June's choice. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'm Craig Saunders. And I'm Hattie Dulac. <laughs>